In the boat, the twelve disciples are awaking. For the last two or three hours of the night, the sailors had let the boat lay too. They had all drifted off to sleep as the boat, sailless, itself drifted. The rising of today's morning light recalls yesterday's. No one is yet speaking of what yesterday held, of sailing into the north shore under the purple dawnlight, of the enormous crowds, of the upcountry walk into the northwest highlands, of the growing foodless hunger of the masses, of the five loaves and the two fish, of the miracle, nor of the other miracle, of their later looking up right in the middle of the terrors of a nighttime squall and seeing him there on the water, standing in the darkness, on the sea, just as naturally as on land. Of his getting in the boat and the sea turning to silky glass. Of their all falling asleep just as soon as he himself slept. Of the absolutely overwhelming quality of twenty-ish hours lived so. So yes, this morning his disciples are awaking. And yet the sail they see is already trimmed, tugging. Looking back, they see Jesus, hand steady on the tiller. He has the boat aimed to return to the western shore of the sea. And when they had crossed over to the other side of the lake, they landed at Gennesaret and tied up there. Everyone was awake by the time they beached. They came in swift and straight, and then one of the fishermen stepped forward and released the sail line. The rope whipped counterclockwise from around the cleat. The sail was falling fast as the forward hull scraped the shore. Everyone unconsciously leaned back to help the boat rise. The pleasant sound of the beaching completed their wake-up. The disciples and Jesus moved forward and stepped off over the bow. The morning light was rising. The air was pleasant. Everyone, in his particular way of doing so, stretched and shook the cobwebs from his still-waking brain. A contagion of yawns spread rapidly through the group. They all followed Jesus as he walked up toward the central square of the town. As soon as they came ashore, the people of Gennesaret recognized Jesus and rushed all over the countryside, which began like this. First, a fishmonger standing at the harbor's edge, just east of the market, saw the teacher and his disciples. He ran to tell his wife and family. She, his wife, told every single neighbor on their side of the street who told the others on the other side because she, the fishmonger's wife, was already running south of town. She, you see, had a mother who lived that way. That woman needed a healing. And these sorts of patterns spread and spread. While Jesus was sitting and eating his breakfast, toasted bread and a broiled bit of fish at the edge of the market, he and his disciples were aware of all the toing and froing. They sipped their warm drinks and watched the people scurrying around the town, spreading the word, and they felt the energy of the countryside focusing in upon their location. The crowds started to come in from the hills and dales. And the people began to carry the sick around on their beds to wherever they heard that he was, this morning to this seated spot at the edge of the market. Later on, as he 
took a walk in the hills or the next day down the coast, wherever he went, in villages or towns or farms, they laid down their sick right in the roadway which was the most touching of things for him to behold. Bed upon bed, pallet upon pallet, in and out of the rising heat of the day, these connecting roads between villages all skirted with people laid out for him. A passage between the nearest of towns could take him hours. He would stop and stoop for all of these roadside bedridden people. And day by day, the pattern only seemed to grow. Until eventually... The towns were nearly empty of the sick. The kingdom continued to move and grow wherever he went. Farther to the south, he came upon a group of people who'd heard a tale of him. They begged him that they might, and I quote, just touch the edge of his cloak. Jesus lit up when he heard those words. They'd obviously met that dear sweet woman from up in Capernaum. He could tell when she told him her, quote, whole story, that she was a gifted teller of stories. And now her tale of healing had spread this far south. The edge of the cloak affair was now legendary in these parts. And all those who thus touched him were healed. All those who thus touched him. And so passed a series of rather lovely weeks. And now, and actually, let me pause before I go on from there. It's important that we reconsider everything that we've just seen. During this particular phase of his ministry, what do we hear of Jesus? How might we describe the pattern of his days and weeks along this stretch of shoreline? He uh, was mobile, moving among the masses, was available the presence of God directly in the people's midst, was compassionate. His heart went out to them. Was their healer. He carried the power of God to literally heal their infirmities. And most importantly, he loved them. Was love incarnate. So the people of the Galilee experienced Jesus of Nazareth as love who healed, was compassionate, available, and ever on the move. This was his reputation and the experience of his presence. And so now, I want to reintroduce you to some other folks. Because during this very same time, and generationally over the last 150 or so years, another group of men was going about the business of their particular brand of religion and might have been described thus. They were mostly immobile. Their leadership holding court in Jerusalem were only available to those who mattered to them, i.e. very few people, were according to their religious understanding, fairly brutal. They prized only purity. Considered the sick, ailing, demon-possessed, and hurting as being outside of God's love. And most fundamentally, and focusing entirely upon the fall of man, not God's redemption. Well, they thought of God as law, as one to be feared, appeased. Can you guess who these men might be? I bet you did. The Pharisees. Oh, and look, (laughs) here they come. And now, 
right in the middle of Jesus' travels, teachings, healings, miracles, miraculous feeding, signs and wonders, enormous amazed crowds, he was approached by the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. You'll remember, they have already come this way a time or two. And what this time do they want to discuss? Why specifically are they approaching him right now? Surely, it certainly must be to have some deep, substantive talks about the nature of God, to debate and discuss the meaning of God's plan through the ages. Or perhaps they want to inquire with a proper sense of awe in the face of such brilliance as to the meaning of some of his enlightened teachings. Or just maybe, seeing how he brings such curiosity about God to the hearts of the masses, they want to learn from him about his approach. Does he think the time of God's redemption is at hand? Are there things he would be willing to teach them in their leadership? Well, let's watch them as they walk over toward him. What will be the first question upon their lips? They had noticed that his disciples ate their meals with common hands, meaning that they had not gone through a ceremonial washing. The Pharisees, and indeed all the Jews, will never eat unless they have washed their hands in a particular way, following a traditional rule. And they will not eat anything bought in the market until they have first performed their sprinkling. And there are many other things which they consider important concerned with the washing of cups, jugs, and basins. So, the Pharisees and the scribes put this question to Jesus. And again, to remind you, this is what they decided to lead with on this particular occasion. Quote, Why do your disciples refuse to follow the ancient tradition and eat their bread with common hands? Jesus the incarnate God whose worship these men thought and think they are protecting, uh, the one, in fact, who'd thought of them before they'd even existed, the man who was God, the God who is presently standing before them, man replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah described you beautifully when he wrote, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He stood silently looking at them for a long moment. You are so busy holding on to the traditions of men that you let go the commandment of God. The crowd around him begins whispering with whispers of great discomfort. All of this has a menacing, foreboding feel. Then Jesus went on. It is wonderful to see how you can set aside the commandment of God to preserve your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say... If a man says to his father or his mother, Korban, meaning I have given God whatever duty I owed to you, then he need not lift a finger any longer for his father or mother, so making the word of God invalid for the sake of the tradition which you hold. And this is typical of much of what you do. 
Then he turned his back upon the scribes and Pharisees and called the crowd close to him again and spoke to them instead of those others. Listen to me now, all of you, and understand this. There is nothing outside a man which can enter into him and make him common. It is the things which come out of a man that make him common. And with that, he walked off to get himself a drink of water, drinking from an uncleaned jug and cup. Later, when he had gone indoors away from the crowd, when he had just sat down to take off his sandals, his disciples asked him about this parable. He looked up at them from what he was doing. Oh, are you as dull as they are? He said. Can't you see that anything that goes into a man from outside cannot make him common or unclean? He reached out and picked up a loaf of bread from the table before them. You see, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and passes out of the body altogether so that all food is clean enough. He sets down the bread on its dish, takes off his other sandal. But, he went on, his eyes growing narrower as he spoke these words, but whatever comes out of a man, that is what makes a man common or unclean. For it is from inside, from men's hearts and minds, that evil thoughts arise, uh, lust, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evil things come from inside a man and make him unclean. His disciples were quiet as he walked back outside barefoot. He went and sat in the house's back garden for a while, all by himself. <laughs>